Um, if this is your first time here tonight, we're in week two of a three-week series on Romans chapter six. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter six. We've got Bibles under the seat if you need one, and so you can grab one of those. And then we'll also have it up on the screen. But yeah, we, we just uh, we, we wanted to dive into uh, to this chapter. This is one of the most important chapters when it comes to living the Christian life in the Bible. And so we thought, let's break it down, let's go deep, let's talk about this for the next three weeks. And last week I talked about um, how do we deal with the question, uh, if we're saved by grace alone, why not just go on sinning and doing what you want to do? Uh, why not just live whatever life you want to live? I'm saved, I'm okay. And, and we dealt with that last week, and, and tonight we're going to look at verses 12 to 14. And so if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 6, and let's read this together. Paul says to the Roman, Roman church, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Uh, let me pr pray for us real quick. Father God, I thank you for the privilege to preach your word tonight. I thank you for um, this amazing letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church. And I pray that as we look in, uh, into detail in chapter 6, that you would just bless our time. I pray that you would speak through me, Lord. Um, I pray that you would prepare the hearts and, and minds of those that are here tonight to receive your word and act on it. Lord, I thank you for the cross. I thank you that all we have and all we need is Jesus Christ. And so I pray that as we leave tonight, we remember um, that in Christ alone we have all the things that we need for life and godliness and for hope and for forgiveness and, and, and so many other things. And so bless this time, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in August of 1945, the uh, Japanese military surrendered to the United States Army. Um, as you know, probably the atomic bombs put an end to that war and um, at that point, this fierce military, the Japanese military, who hated to surrender, um, decided we, we have to do that. So they surrendered, and uh, big ordeal, big display. But the interesting thing is, on many of the little islands that were scattered throughout the Pacific Ocean, there was still fighting going on. Uh, there were still soldiers for the Japanese military that were refusing to stop fighting. And so we had many American soldiers that were fighting and dying when the war was already won. There's one uh, famous individual, they called him holdouts, these Japanese that wouldn't give up. His name was Lieutenant Anoda, Hiru Anoda. And uh, he and three other guys were on an island um, in the Pacific, and the, the U.S. came and took over the island, and they, they went into the forest and they went into hiding. And so from these forested hills, they would have these guerrilla attacks on uh, the United States military and the Filipino police. They killed up to 30 people after the war was over. And so in 1950, five years after the war was over, one of those individuals was killed. And then in 1972, uh, two other of the individuals were killed. That left this one lieutenant who continued to fight from the hills of this island. He just would not give up. And finally, in 1974, 1974, nearly 30 years after the war was over, he finally surrendered. 
It's crazy. 30 years after the war was already over, he was still fighting to the very end. And one of the things that I'm seeing in Romans chapter 6 is that this is the case in the Christian life. Uh, We have won the war through our faith in Jesus Christ. The war is over. It is finished. Jesus is on the throne for those of us who put our faith in him. But the fighting still continues. Sin still creeps up like a guerrilla warfare and attacks us in different ways. The, The conflict is real for the Christian. And I think the thing is, a lot of Christians think something's wrong that they're not conquering every sin in their life. They think something's wrong that they're not having this easy Uh, smooth Christian life, you know, I was saved and now why am I still struggling with these old sins? Why why are they still creeping up and and attacking me when I least expect it? It's a conflict. And Paul makes that clear in this passage that the conflict doesn't end. We have battles to fight. Uh, One famous Puritan, John Owen, I think is who it was, he said, either you're killing sin or sin is killing you. It's a battle that we're in, and Paul loves to use military terminology, and he, and he even does that in this passage tonight, to communicate that the battle is not over, even though the war is over. This deliverance from the power of sin, secured by union with Christ, does not eliminate all the sin in our lives. We still struggle with sin. Uh, John Murray, who wrote a famous commentary on Romans Uh, well-known commentary says, remaining in dwelling sin is the contradiction of all that be as a regenerate person and son of God. It's a contradiction, but yet it's still the case. The presence of sin in a believer's life will result in conflict. And so here's what I want to talk about tonight. How do we fight sin? How do we keep sin from gaining ground in our lives? How do we put an end to it? How do we crush it? How do we kill sin so that it doesn't kill us? And the big idea tonight is that remembering who you are in Christ and because of who you are in Christ, using your body as a weapon for holiness, and I'll explain what that means, is how you defeat sin. So two things. Number one, you've got to remember who you are in Christ. And number two, you've got to use your body and the gifts and abilities that God's given you as weapons for holiness, not for sin. And so that's where we're going tonight. And let's jump in. Number one, remembering who you are in Christ. This is kind of another way of saying it. Who you are comes before what you do. And so look with me at verse 12. In verse 12, Paul says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And this mortal body, he's just saying, do not, let it, do not let sin reign in your physical body. And the word therefore is always important when you're reading your Bible. Anytime Paul says therefore, you need to look back to what he just said. And so what we talked about last week, and I want to put it up here just as kind of a guiding principle, the therefore that Paul's talking about is that Adam was the head of the whole human race. Adam sinned, and so every human being that was born into this world had sin uh, given to them. It's a part of their nature that they're born with because Adam is their head. So sin is their master. Every human being that's born has a master, and that master is sin. And we're going to talk about this tonight in verse 14, but you're under the law. So because of this, the law is telling us what to do, 
and it's convicting us, but it's not giving us any power to overcome the sin that's in our lives. It's just condemning us. It's just making us feel terrible. You know, the rules that you have in class that you keep breaking, it makes things worse when you have rules that you can't obey. And what's the result of this arrangement? The result is death. And so what Paul talks about in the first part of chapter six, if you weren't here last night, when this old self, this person, puts their faith in Jesus Christ, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for that person's sin as well. That person has died with Christ and risen with Christ to live a new life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You're a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so this individual that puts their faith in Christ has become a new creation. Didn't just change a few things. They're a completely different person. The head of this new humanity is Christ. No longer Adam. And your master now is righteousness. Paul says you're no longer a slave to sin. You're now a slave to righteousness. And now you're not under the law to condemn you and to make you feel guilty and condemned. You're now under grace. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Romans 8.1. And what's the result of this arrangement for the person who's put their faith in Christ? Life. And so this is what Paul talked about in verses 1 through 11. And he says, because of this arrangement, for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, he says this in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So because this is true, don't live as if it's not true. Because this arrangement is true, be who you are now that you're a new creation. Don't be like you used to be. If you've been set free from sin, why would you keep living in sin? For Paul, that doesn't make any sense. And so don't let sin reign in your body. And that idea of reign is like a king on the throne reigning a kingdom. And your body is the kingdom. And he's saying don't let sin be the king over your life and over your actions and over your desires. John Stott, who was a, a famous pastor and theologian in England. He's recently passed away. Uh, he's got a great commentary on Romans as well, but he says this, because Christ died to sin and lives to God, and because through union with Christ, we ourselves are dead to sin, but alive to God, and must count ourselves so, therefore our whole attitude to sin and to God must change. Therefore, our whole attitude to sin and to God must be different. And guys, I'm here to tell you, many of you have this freedom that's just waiting for you, but you're living as if this change did not take place. You're living your daily life as if you're still a slave to sin, condemned, beaten down, discouraged, no hope, you're living in this reality when you genuinely have put your faith in Christ and this God has offered to you. And so Paul says, guys, if this is you, don't let sin reign over your body. Don't let sin make you do things that you don't want to do. 
Don't let sin tell you to go down this path with your girlfriend or boyfriend or to, to, to do this in this environment or to treat someone this way or to gossip or to slander, all those things that the New, the New Testament talks about. Don't do those things now that you don't have to. You're no longer on, on Team Adam. You're on Team Christ. And I'm, I'm a Dallas Mavericks fan, but I really have a lot of respects for the San Antonio Spurs. Um, they just are a really good team. What was that over there? Ghost yeah, Ghost Spurs. Okay, great. Okay, that's enough. Um, so <laughs> the Spurs are a great team, and, and uh, their coach, Pop, is an amazing coach. But here's the interesting thing about the Spurs. You've got a lot of generic teams in the NBA that, you know, you could be traded to this team and it doesn't look a lot different. You could be traded to that team. But with the Spurs, there is a certain way that you play on that team. The Spurs have a certain identity. And it doesn't matter how you used to play on the old team. If you want to play on the Spurs, you're going to have to play according to the way they say you have to play. You're going to have to embrace the identity of the San Antonio Spurs or else they will send you packing. And it is the same way when it comes to the Christian life. When you embrace your identity as a believer in Christ and you embrace all the things that come with that, it will result in a change of behavior, in a changed life, in a changed way of thinking. It has to. You've put on a new jersey. You're playing for a different team. And so part of fighting sin is remembering who you are in Christ and which team you play for. But the interesting thing, look with me at verse 14. This seems like a contradiction. So in verse 12, he says, do not let sin reign. And in verse 14, he says, sin shall no longer be your master. Or another way to put that is sin no longer reigns. And that's not a... Uh, I hope this is the case. Paul is saying this is declarative. This is an assurance. This is a fact. Sin no longer reigns because you are not under law, but you're under grace. So why did he say don't let sin reign? Do you, do you see the contradiction or seeming contradiction there? Sin no longer reigns, but don't let sin reign. And, and Paul does this often, and it does go back to this idea of being who you are. Your victory over sin is established. It's done. It's finished by faith in Christ. But you have to appropriate that in your life. It's got to start playing out in your life, and that involves you. You can't just sit on the couch and think that one day all of your old habits are going to go away and you're going to develop these new godly habits just magically. Paul says, no, you've got to actively put away that old self. Because that's no longer who you are. Another way of putting it is in, in Paul's letters, he starts with the indicatives and then he transitions into the imperatives. And the indicatives are just factual statements about who you are. Go, when you get a chance, read some of Paul's letters. At the very beginning of his letters, it's all like uh, you're adopted, you're forgiven, you're cleansed, you're a new creation, you're a child of God, you're a saint. You're, uh, you're a priest, you're a part of the, the body of Christ. All of these declarative statements that are indicatives. It's nothing that we did. We put our faith in Christ and these things are now realities. Because of my faith, I am adopted into God's family. I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed. All of those benefits come to me without me doing anything. But then if you look at his letters, the second half of his letters are all about now because that's true, 
Start living this way, which are the imperatives. These are the commands. These are the don't do this, do this. These are the stop doing that, start doing this. Put off your old self, put on the new. And so I think for some of you, maybe that's confusing of like, well, wait a minute, I thought I already put it off. I thought sin no longer reigns. It's this tension between this is who you are, but you've got to start living it out in your life. You tracking with me? It's, it's got to be it's got to be expressed in your life. You're, you're free to now fight against sin. That's kind of the way I think about it. God set you free from sin. Now you can fight against it. I mean, really, a lot of the movies that we love, a lot of the big action movies that we like, um, where you got the good guy fighting against the bad guy, there's a theme or that's, there's a narrative that happens all the time in those movies. And the narrative goes like this. you got this powerful, you know, good guy, hero figure who gets captured by the bad guy. You know, he gets tied up or he gets put in, you know, put in isolation and he's stuck. And when he's a slave to the bad guy, he can't do anything. It doesn't matter what kind of powers he has. He's, he's stuck. He, he's trapped. And so what happens in all these movies? You have one of his buddies sneaks in and, and cuts him loose. You know, he's tied up and he cuts him loose. And what's the first thing that happens when the, the hero figure gets cut loose? He fights. He doesn't run away and, and he doesn't think, oh my gosh, I'm glad I got away. I don't care if everybody else in the world dies. I'm gonna go hide. The first thing he does when he's set free is he goes and engages the enemy. That's what Paul's saying here. You've been set free, now go fight against the enemy. You used to be a slave, and there was nothing you could do. If, you, if you're not in Christ, you are, you are enslaved to sin, and there's nothing you can do. But the moment he sets you free, you can now engage the enemy. Guys, this is, this is a battle that we're in. This is a battle between good and evil. This is a battle between our old self and our new self within us. And every day, we're, we're choosing between which side we want to take. And Paul says, we've got to be aggressive. We've got to keep watch. We've got to put on the armor of God. We've got to fight against those evil desires that are in us. And we've got to put them to death. Because God has set us free to do that. So remembering who we are uh, is a huge part of this. You know, for me, much of my life, um, I, I was enslaved to, to fear and anxiety. Um, I, I felt like I was, I was trapped in it. I didn't feel like I had any hope. I didn't feel like I had um, any way of getting out from under this bondage of fear and anxiety. There was a lot of factors that went into why, you know, that happened to me. Some of it's genetics. Some of it was bad decisions. But the fact was, I was living in a in a prison, an emotional and spiritual prison every day. And in my mind, even though I was a believer, I was living as if this was still the case. I was beating myself up. I was like, if I'm a Christian, why should I be depressed? I thought all Christians were, were happy and joyful and, and, and just you know conquered sin right away. Why, what's wrong with, there must be something wrong with me if I'm struggling with, with anxiety and depression and fear. And so for years, on the outside, it looked like, man, Tyler's having a blast. He's playing baseball, and I mean, it looked great. But on the inside, I was a slave to fear and, and, and sin. And 
all of these things going on inside of me. And it wasn't until I started remembering and focusing on and meditating on and thinking about and dwelling on who I was in Jesus Christ, not who I used to be, not what I inherited from my mom and dad, not anything that I did in my past, I began to break free from that and say, I am a new creation, I don't have to be enslaved to this, and I started slowly but surely experiencing more and more freedom in my life, and I became more and more aggressive fighting against the fear and anxiety. It started losing its grip on me. I was free to fight, and I didn't even know it. And some of you are in here tonight, and you're free in Christ, and you don't even know it. You're in slavery to sex. You're in slavery to depression. You're in slavery to anxiety. You're in slavery to the approval of men. You're in slavery to your parents' will for your life. You're in slavery to um, making yourself look better than others. You're in slavery to pride. All of these things, and you don't even realize that you can be free from that. It's a battle. It's not a quick fix. It's not, a, it's not an overnight thing. You will have to engage in spiritual warfare, but you will have victory, Paul says, because it's a fact. You are set free from the dominion of sin, and you are no longer a slave to that old life, and you have been set free. Live in it. Be who you are. Live the new life in Christ. No longer enslaved to your old self. But you have to remember these things. Which means you have to get in the word and study these things. And, and start to realize the values of the kingdom of God. And start to take on those values and those cultural ideals of the kingdom. And start to think of yourself as a child of the king. Not a slave to the enemy. Second thing. You've got to use your body as a weapon for holiness, not for sin. You've got to use your body as a weapon for holiness, not for sin. Look with me real quick at verse 13. You know, Paul told us all this, and, and don't let sin reign over you, for you're no longer a slave to it. And do not present your members, and I'll talk about what that means, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now that word instrument is, is interesting. It's used four other times in the New Testament and every other time it's used, it's in reference to weapons. The instrument is a weapon and Paul's saying here, use these weapons for righteousness, not for unrighteousness. So he says, use your body. What does he mean by body? Your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your, your, your taste, your, um, every part of your body, everything about you, use it as a weapon for holiness, not for unholiness. What, what strengths do you have? What abilities do you have? What gifts has God given you? What are those things that people say, man, you're good at that? Some of you just know how to to, uh, to create things. You've got that entrepreneurial spirit. You have a desire and a passion to make things, whether it's businesses or, um, or in, the, uh, in the creative world, making art or music or uh, you know, fill in the blank. 
And what Paul's saying is use that as a weapon for righteousness, not for unrighteousness. Use your ability to make money to further God's kingdom, not to further your kingdom. Use your relational abilities that God has blessed you with that you didn't, you just inherited them. Use those things to bless people, not to curse people. Use your relationships to build up the kingdom of God, not to build up your own ego. Paul is saying use everything that God has given you as a weapon against this old way of life where sin is reigning and Satan is our, is our arch enemy. Let's use our weapons against this life, not use our weapons against the kingdom of God. And sadly, many of us as Christians, including myself, oftentimes pick up our weapons and start fighting against people on our own team. We start fighting against our own true self. And we get confused, like, who am I? And the reason we're so confused about who we are is because we've been attacking the kingdom of God within us, using the very gifts and abilities and strengths that God's given us against him, not for him. Paul says, do not do that. Present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. We have a choice to make if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, I don't... And, and this, is, this is direct, but this is necessary to know. There's hard truths in the Bible, but if you're not in Christ, it doesn't matter how nice you are. It doesn't matter how many gifts you have. It doesn't matter how wealthy or successful or winsome or likable you are. Your life is going to be used as weapons of unrighteousness, not righteousness. I don't care if you give a million dollars to uh, philanthropic Things. I don't care if you give money to, to this orphanage or that orphanage. You're not doing it because you want to please and honor your head. You're doing it because you live in the old self and it's rooted in, in, in sinful desires. And I know that's a harsh thing to hear. But the reality is until you come under this new way of life, until you become a part of this new humanity, even the good things that you have are used against the purposes of God oftentimes. We have a choice to make. Sinclair Ferguson, another pastor, says, a transformed life is expressed in your body, not just in your thoughts, through your eyes and what you see, through your ears and what you hear, through your hands and what you touch, through your tongue and what you say, through your feet and where you go, all is to become fertile soil for Christ, not for this world. What are the things in this world that are pulling you away from the kingdom of God? What are the things in this world that, that God has gifted you in these areas, but you're doing it for the things of this world and not for the kingdom of God? Since I was a little kid, baseball was, was my thing. I loved it. I, 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 I was obsessed with it. My, my room when I was 8, 9, 10, 11 years old was covered with posters of, of baseball players uh, King Griffey Jr. was my favorite player. I dreamed of playing in the major leagues. I was obsessed with it, and I worked hard, and, and, I, and I practiced, and, and, and I played for a long time until I was 24 years old. But most of those 24 years, I was playing. I was using the gifts that God had given me for myself, not for God, even as a Christian. It was about my need for people to see me as a great athlete and as a great baseball player. You see, my identity was Tyler the baseball player first. 
not Tyler the Christian. And so when I had a good game, it wasn't necessarily, God, thank you. I hope I played in a way that brought glory to you. When I had a good game, I was like, man, I hope people saw how well I played. I hope the scouts saw how well I played so I can get drafted. I hope the, the, um, the manager and the coaches and my family and you know, on and on and on. I was worried about everybody but, but God and I was using gifts that he gave me that I didn't get on my own initiative for an instruments of unrighteousness, not for righteousness. You tracking with me on that? Um, it's, it's not a black and white thing. There's, it's not like once you become a Christian, it's just easy and, and everything just transitions smoothly into this new way of living. It's a battle that takes place. And even as a pastor, there are times where I do things that on the outside look really good and moral, but I'm doing them for the wrong reasons. I'm using the gifts that God's given me for my own purposes, not for his. What's, what's that in your life? That's really my big question with this point number two. Can you identify those areas in your life where God has blessed you or gifted you that you're actually using not for his kingdom but for the old kingdom? What are those areas? What are those parts of your body? And there's, there's, parts, there's parts of our bodies in life stage two that we're using not for the right reasons. It's those parts too. How are you using your body to, to bring glory to God? For Paul, after thinking about who you are in Christ, that's the nat natural next question. The next question is, how are you using the things that God's given you, um, and what are you using it for? So, in conclusion, um, the original question that Paul asked was, should we keep sinning so that grace may abound? Okay, we're saved by grace through faith alone. If you're here tonight and you want to know how do I become a Christian, it's by faith alone, it's not by works. And if we really preach that well, some of you should think, well, wait a minute. If it's by faith alone, then maybe I can just start living however I want. This is awesome. I can go to heaven and, and that can be secure and then I can just live however I want. This is sweet. And so the people in Rome were writing letters to Paul saying, okay, so if this is the case, then if I keep on sinning, then grace keeps looking greater, that's perfect. And Paul's like, may that never be. And I hope what you get by the end of tonight is that, do you understand why for Paul that doesn't make any sense? For Paul, it's like if you've been set free and if you've been forgiven and cleansed, don't go back to that way of life. In fact, Paul doesn't just say don't, don't, don't. He says now start using the things that God's given you to advance his kingdom and to bring more joy to your life. That's the, that's the awesome promise, guys, is that when we start living under this reality, we, we win. Like, we don't lose anything. Giving up sin, we don't lose anything. We actually will experience joy and contentment and peace, all the things that we think this will give us, we actually do experience there. So Paul says, remember who you are in Christ and use your body as a weapon against sin and for holiness. If you're struggling with sin, please don't be shocked. If you're fighting against sin, 
you're on the right track. If you've just given up and, and let sin get back on the throne in your life, tonight, I want to declare over you, if you put your faith in Christ, sin no longer has dominion. Stop living like it does. Live in this new reality. And let the grace and freedom that God has given you change everything about you. And may God get all the glory in your life as a result. Let's pray together. Father, so much information. Um, so much to, to think about and to, to reflect on. Um, Lord, my hope is that, that tonight those are in the room who um, are hearing this for the first time and actually are thinking, man, I think I'm still living under the old regime. I think, I think I'm still living in slavery to sin and I've never really understood what Christ has done for me. Lord, my prayer is that tonight they would uh, seal their relationship with you through faith. It's so hard for us to understand. Um, we, we, we think we need to, to do something. But the reality is salvation is a free offer to be received by faith. So I pray that you would impress on the hearts of those who, who don't know you to change that tonight and to enter into this new humanity with Christ our Savior and our advocate and our friend as our head who loves us and cares for us. And Lord, for those who have made that decision and are in the fight, Lord, may you strengthen them to fight the good fight of faith, knowing that it's not fighting for Forgiveness, it's fighting from forgiveness. It's not fighting sin so that one day it'll be canceled. It's sin that's canceled that we keep fighting against. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room would leave excited and hopeful, not, not dreading the fight. You're, you're the general, and you've already ensured victory, and so give us confidence in our fight against sin and excitement that one day you will return and finish what you started in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.